Welcome to the Politically Asian Podcast. We're just two Asian American buds talking about politics and the Asian American community in hopes of getting more Asians to talk about politics. We're coming at you live from Brooklyn and Queens. My name is Jerry Lim. My pronouns are they, them. And you can find me across the internet at Jerryaki. That's G-E-R-R-I-E-Y-A-K-I. And my co-host, Hi, my name is Aaron Yin. My pronouns are he, him, and you can find me on social media at Aaron Flarin. That's A-A-R-O-N-F-L-A-R-I-N. <laughs> We've got a great guest for you today. They're the co-founder of Asians for Abolition and the founder of the Blasian March, which promotes Black, Asian, and Blasian solidarity through education and celebration. Please give it up for Rohan Jolie. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody. Uh, like I said, my name is Rohan. My pronouns are they, Sha, and Tha. And uh, you can find me at Diary of a Firebird on all platforms. Uh, so that's D-I-A-R-Y-O-F-A-F-I-R-E-B-I-R-D. I can spell, oh, wow. Um, nice. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also on my website, diaryofafirebird.com. Uh, other than that, also find me at uh, Blasian March on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, um, as well as BlasianMarch.org. We love a multi-platform <laughs> artist. Yeah. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> All right. So we're going to start off with our hot take hot pot segment where we each offer one opinion on the Asian community and space that we've been thinking about lately and discuss them. Um, so I'll go first this time. So I've been reading a lot about Ukraine and Russia this week, I'm sure as we all have. And also just the, I feel like the selective attention that goes into covering this situation versus like Palestine, you know, uh, Yemen and Cambodia, you, you name it, right? Um, and I realized that I've been getting most of my info through a combination of like Twitter and TikTok. The hot take is I believe TikTok is a more credible source for reading about, you know, geopolitics and war related things more so than like New York Times, Fox News, etc. Because I feel like they actively try to not tell us that. Whereas on TikTok, it's like, OK, people might be dumb, but someone will call them out. There's not as much of like an and um, like a pro imperialist, pro cop, pro military, like bias baked into it. Interesting. Mm. Mm. Okay, um, let me think about that. I'll cut out any of the silence, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think I think it would have been I think it's a okay. I think it would have been worse if you said Twitter. Um if you said Twitter was where you get all your news, I'd be like, mm, I don't know about that. Um you know, I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you a a, a comfortable Japanese somewhere between a Japanese curry and a hot and spicy spam. Like I feel like I feel like I agree with that take. Um, I feel like, you know, I love TikTok. You know, I love TikTok. Um, and I will say if there's one thing about TikTok, it um, awards um, authenticity, I think. Um, I think users really like resonate with it. Obviously, that can make things go viral that aren't true or like, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. But I think it also really like values and raises up firsthand accounts um, and different perspectives. Um, so I don't know. I, yeah, I, I, I agree with that take. I think it's just kind of hard to get all your news from that because I'm just thinking about like the FYP. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I've been actively just like keyword Ukraine, keyword Russia and just uh, scrolling okay. through all of them as well. Yeah. That's like totally valid though because I, I definitely agree that like especially like US media like they tend to like I've noticed this like pattern of well, one trending topics guide where the news goes, and because of that, it's really difficult to like sit with something and be like, okay, let's process and analyze what's actually going on. Like the fact that we can go from the killing of a black man in his home to a week later of uh, uh, an Asian woman being killed in her home, and then also war with Ukraine. And it's like we're, we're we're trained to think that these things that are no longer in the news cycle just aren't happening anymore. And so, um, yeah, I feel this. I totally feel this. I'm also gonna give it a nice solid five Japanese curry because, like, that's actually what I was thinking. I was like, this is like, yeah, mm -hmm, gotcha. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's comfy. It's homey. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. 
All right, Jerry, what do you have for today? Um, so my take is is also kind of TikTok inspired. Um, my hot take is that I'll just speak to my people that the Asian community could really benefit from learning to say it's just not for me, and that's okay. Um, yes, this is from therapy, um, and I'm not talking about like and it from an achievement standpoint, right? Like I don't want people to s- see like, oh, that 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 thing is like unachievable. It's not for me and that's okay. And like, no, aspire to greatness. Um, but like sometimes like if you find yourself saying, I don't get it, that's that's okay and let it go, you know? To your point, it would be like if an Asian person jumped in and was like, Oh, well in the Asian community we do this, da 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 is that kind of what you're saying that Asian people should learn to not do? No, no, no. I- I'm saying like Okay, you know, what? let me use like, oh, oh uh, from the perspective of a white person, which I am not like, I think white people don't know how to do that, like at all, because everything in the world, like they're used to stuff being built for them. Um, so when they're confronted with like culture of like any mm. kind, like, you know, like Asian cultures or like flavor, um, they feel the need to take it and make it their own instead of like being like, you know what? No, like. This is, it's not, it's just not for me. And I don't need to like, you know, take this and make it my own and try to profit from it or something like that. Mm. Yeah. Just learning to say stop. That's solid. For me, on like a personal perspective, like just seeing how so many like activists and organizers try to weigh in on everything and try to have Mm -hmm. an opinion or not say an opinion on everything, but try to take up space on everything. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm particularly looking at a lot of cishet, able-bodied Asian male organize male organizers specifically. But um, you know, there's this always says we have to always like say something. And sometimes I'm like, maybe it's better just to amplify voices of those who are more marginalized around you instead yeah. of having to constantly take up space when that space can go to someone else who needs to be heard in the situation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Aaron, you know, like we, we talk about Hasan Minhaj a lot on the, the pod or in our lives, really. Um, and I think it, it goes back to that Patriot Act episode where he, he kind of talks about like, you need to be selective sometimes about like what you put your energy into. Because if you try to care about everything, you're going to burn out and then you can't even, you know, do, do anything. Mm. Okay, at the moment, I'm definitely leaning towards like Joe's rice rule because I feel like the <laughs> statement. I feel like there there are some cases like in Rohan mentioned where I can see that like applies in, like an activist space, but I think for like Asian people overall, I'm just like having a little trouble. Yeah, I'm having a little trouble pinpointing it down to specific cases. So I think for some cases it could be spicy, but for other cases it's like, mm. yeah, it just this seems like a general mental health kind of thing to not always step in. Yeah, that's fair. Mm. I feel like I'm gonna I'm I'm keep it at, at the five. I don't like five. It's just like it's like, it's like a solid. It's a solid statement. <laughs> I'm just like I am totally in this. And it's like it's the safe spicy where it's like if it's too spicy, it's like oh my god, I can't handle this. Um, oh, <laughs> I feel like a white woman. Oh god, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right, Rohan. What do you have for us today? <sighs> this might get me in trouble, but. That's the best kind of take. We love I those. Think, <laughs> I think a lot of male leadership needs to step down. <laughs> um, and I say that because like these past, what, year or so now mm-hmm. of like Stop Asian Hate, um, a lot of the political, I guess, upheaval. Um in Asian American communities or Asian American organizing circles and spaces, I just keep noticing that a lot of these men who have created so much harm in the community, particularly towards like Asian women and Asian queer folk, are somehow like still like at the forefront and are still being given the most like attention, um, mainly by like, you know, white media. Um, and I find that really annoying because it's like, it's it's like it's it's almost dismantling a lot of you know really powerful Asian femme and queer organizing is is being pushed to the side for 
you know, certain narratives that, I mean, yeah, that's your story as an Asian cishet man, but if you are responsible for harming Asian women, then you have no business, you know, at the forefront of our movements. You have no business um, doing any of this stuff unless you take accountability. And it's okay to take accountability for what you've done. You know, like a lot of us are trained to harm Asian women. Like society has normalized <laughs> violence towards Asian women. I mean, particularly with all of the U.S. neoimperialism, um, way we deport um, Asian American folks, femmes in particular, because of ICE. Well, not we. That's why the United States. <laughs> I didn't do the U.S. did it. <laughs> we the people. <laughs> Your people, not my people. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just think for a lot of us to really heal and move forward, a lot of leaders need to just like step back and be like, yeah, like I did a lot of bad things and I have yet to engage in myself my own like self-hatred towards mm. being asian and my own self-hatred towards asian women really okay i'm also super curious who or what inspired the ah! aaron's aaron's asking you to drop names that's what he's really trying to do <laughs> Well, honey, let me just pull my tea out. Yeah. <laughs> we can cut it in post if you want. Oh my goodness. Uh, I, I, I won't name names on recordings, but okay, um, okay. I do have a certain <laughs> little accountability folder in my Google Docs. Um, oh! <laughs> Wait, I, think we, I think we have one of those too, like just screenshots. <laughs> Literally screenshots and screen recordings. I mean, most of it's done mm. to like my person. But yeah. and like, but I'm very just like, no, you know what? I'm gonna just keep this little folder just by myself. So it's smart. If she ever comes near me, like, yeah. ever again, yeah. like, she will try and she will fail. Oh my god, <laughs> Ro Ro Rohan's receipts. Yeah, right. <laughs> that should be a new show. Yeah, exactly. Our new exactly. segment on the politically Asian podcast, Rohan's yeah. receipts. Rohan's receipts. Yeah. <laughs> Mm. But okay, before before I give my rating, I will say um, I hear that. And I, I guess like it just because women are in charge does not automatically make it better, though, right? Mm. That's a good. Point. Okay, I see. I see. That's I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I feel that. I guess like for me, it's more like, again, based on your choices and like centering the femmes who have done the work and have like a long mm. record of like doing the work mm. that is like, healing and rejuvenating um, mm -hmm. yeah no i see what you're saying because i'm also thinking about you know clinton and her <laughs> long record of harm <laughs> um, <laughs> or or kamala harris and exactly that's that's who i'm thinking of people. yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very, very, very true <laughs> very, like very true yeah. <laughs> uh, no that's actually a really good point jerry um yeah. I would say, I think that's, um, I'll probably give that like uh, a hot and spicy spam. I think, I mean, it, it's a little, it's also, I mean, similar to Jerry's, it's a little hard to give the rating without like the specific cases, you know, like <laughs> certain names are coming into my head and I'm not Ooh. sure if they're the same names, you know, in your head. So like that's, we'll, we'll talk about this in post. I mean, <laughs> okay, okay, like a very obvious example. I think this one like like you know andrew yang you know back when he was running for me i think that's very obvious right like i i think um you know we could talk about like the pro cop narrative and just in general a very bro-y tech bro-y vibe and you know like that but there are other names in my head that i'm thinking about beyond that that i think make me give this a spicier rating mm. um i i do think for asian you know i guess speaking as a you know cis straight asian guy i think it is tough for some guys to hear that which is why i think it's spicy um but yeah i'm, I'm being a little conservative because i think i don't know the exact names um so i'll i'll keep it at a six for now <laughs> interesting okay um yeah that's 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 a good point you bring up aaron like i i'm not a cishet male so like for me like hearing like uh, abuser step down like yeah that makes sense all right um you know like that would that's a mango sticky rice but i think like I, I don't know for me like at the same time accountability always good um mm -hmm, goes well mm -hmm. with everything so i'm gonna give it a sriracha um so yeah that's that's what i'm gonna say on that one 
Nice. Okay, so we're obviously going to have a fun time talking after the recording. Um, (laughs) Yes. That much is for sure. Uh, Subscribe to our Patreon to unlock it. (laughs) I might just put that Google Doc on your Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so today we're talking with Rohan about uh, a bunch of things, namely like Asians for Abolition, the Blasian March, um, etc. And so we'll, we'll start with, you know, some foundational stuff like what inspired you to start Asians for Abolition? I think it it, it was, it, funnily enough, it, it was born out of a collective of Asian femme and queer organizers who basically um, had experienced a lot of harm from some cishet Asian male leadership. Um, I should definitely say not all straight men are bad. <laughs> I am so <laughs> Sorry, Aaron. <laughs> Not all straight men, however, certain straight men. Um, um, you know, some folks in the group um, have been cyberbullied by some of these leaders. Mm. Um, I myself um, had actually was put in a very unsafe situation at a rally um, that I was helping organize, um, which was frustrating because it was like, you know, in our group chat, I was like, you know, I'm the only black person in this mm. circle. I am the only visibly queer person in this circle. And, you know, when I'm at protests, I will wear a pride flag that has black and brown stripes to affirm queer folks of color. And for me to be kind of like ditched and abandoned is just like many levels of this is not how you treat <laughs> your, your fellow uh, comrade. Um, and so some of my friends stayed behind and when we caught up with the group, they were, um, shouting lots of like very homophobic, uh, chants, um, all in Chinatown. So, um, uh, you know, it was myself and all these other, um, Asian femmes who had been organizing the community. Um, we decided we should just form our own group and do our own thing. Um, and that was kind of how uh, we came across and formed Asians for Abolition. Um, and the Blasian March was, uh, for me, actually my healing process for what had happened. Um, it was kind mm. of in direct response to how I was treated, um, how other queer Asians were treated in that space. Um, and so, you know, one of my biggest um, concerns um, with that organizing space was that, you know, it was it was in August of 2020 that this rally happened. And so, you know, a lot of Black Lives Matter was still a pretty large topic um, in mainstream uh, conversations and pop culture. Um, you know, we were just beginning to understand the extent of anti-Asian um, violence um, on the individual level. We still haven't really gotten to the uh, systemic level within mm-hmm. Asian hate um, as a political movement. Um, but yeah, for me, I was like, you know what? Um, Black Asian solidarity, I put on the table with leadership. Um, they didn't want to do it. And so for me, it was kind of like, you know what? I'm going to organize a rally in my own way um, to, you know, give equal space to Black and Asian folks, to Blasian folks. Um, in response to what had happened, I was like, you know what? The only speakers are going to be women, queer folk, and disabled folk. No straight man will have the mic. I'm sorry, straight men. <laughs> like, I feel like they, if y'all have enough mics. <laughs> like, yeah, just start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that was kind of the impetus for the Blasian March. Um, our first rally was October 11th, 2020. And it's kind of just what I thought was going to be this like small one-time rally um, is now in two years of organizing. And it's beautiful. Congrats. Thank you. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, first off, I'm really sorry. Like the, that, like the violence that you described earlier, like happened to you, that sucks. Um, and it's 
it feels really shitty when it's like you're in Asian spaces and you're attacked by like other Asians because it's just like, well, aren't we on the same team? Like, aren't we right. all trying to like, you know? Um, so I I'm sorry and that I I'm that sucks. I, I I think it's like really beautiful that what you've built from from that. Um and you know, I kind of want to give our listeners like who who may not be as familiar with with terms and things like that, like what does abolition mean to you? Oh. So for me, abolition is this really open, expansive idea where it's kind of like we look at structures in the system, mm-hmm. analyze the ones that don't work, how they don't work, why they don't work, and <clears throat> how can we replace them with something better? Like, oh, okay. you know, like your mic is faulty. You should replace it with something else. That's <laughs> yeah. basic logic. Yeah. So like if something on you know, a a global level or a nation level or a city level or a neighborhood level does not work. It has Mm -hmm. to be fixed or be removed. Um, For lots of folks, mainstream media has taught us that abolition only means, you know, removing prisons, Um, which is part, I think, is part of, of abolition as an idea. It's not just removing prisons, it's creating new systems of accountability um, that the community can share and grow with together. Even what's happening now with Asian communities and education, we're seeing, you know, um, folks advocating for Asian American history to be put into, you know, curriculums. And that is a form of abolition too, because Mm -hmm. we are abolishing the erasure of Asian Americans. We are abolishing the invisibilizing of Asian Americans through education. Like what we're doing literally is abolition, just doing, just being mm-hmm. done in different structure. And, you know, you see the backlash happening right now in many states. Like um, some of my, my folks and friends in Illinois were telling me how, you know, a lot of folks are protesting against having Asian American history in education. I'm like, At what? <laughs> like, Mm. And it just shows that white power or the mythology of white power is so reliant on Asian Americans not knowing their own stories. It's so reliant on yes. us not knowing who we are as Asians, the point which we are taught to invisibilize and erase ourselves. Like, ah, so like yeah. <laughs> Asian American education is abolition. That's actually a form of abolition that we are not naming as abolition it happens all the time to us mm. i do think framing it that way would help a lot of people get more on board with the overall idea of abolition and jails agreed hey thanks for listening to the episode so far um if you like it uh maybe pause right here and give us five stars on either apple or spotify it really helps the pot out um and it's free Um, But if you have some money to toss our way, consider subscribing to our Patreon. We're currently fundraising to get uh, transcripts for our podcast episodes to make them more accessible, hire a video editor, and hopefully get Canva Premium to deliver better memes. Um, So yeah, thanks for listening. And uh, now back to the episode. Because... Actually, like, I guess a related question that we have for you. Um, so, you know, you just mentioned that abolition is not just about, you know, getting rid of prisons, jails, you know, and the existing system we have right now. Um, but we were curious, like, in your opinion, why do you think some Asian people, um, you know, put a lot of trust into, like, the current criminal justice system we have and the police? Mm. Well, I'm not, well, uh, I'm not in every single Asian person's head. That would be a lot of work, but yeah. <laughs> um, I love the word, the word some, I'm going to let it do a lot of work. <laughs> um, from what I've observed, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's so multifaceted. I mean, one, it is white miseducation and white mythology that 
structures a singular narrative that policing is only violent towards Black people. And, mm. you know, I'm also borrowing a bit of uh, Claire Jean Kim's uh, racial triangulation theory here for folks who don't know. Um, that's the idea that within society, um, Asian communities and Black communities are pitted against each other through these like false narratives that, you know, Asians perform better academically. Asians have more wealth than Black people. Um, Black people are dangerous. Black people are aggressive. Um, and enters a black Asian like me, and everyone's like, "What is that?" But you know, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I, I think it's it's partially our society is not allowing Asian Americans to know the history and the stories of police violence towards Asian Americans. Um, mm. I have I will uplift with consent the names Christian Hall, um, Young Song, and Angelo Quinto. And I invite folks to Google those names, understand their stories, and feel free to look up other names. I mean, there have literally been Asian elders who've been harmed by police. Um, there have been Asian infants who have been harmed by police. Um, the list really goes on and on. Uh, I think that's part of it. Another part, I'm, I'm borrowing um, some observations from one of my, one of my uh, friends, uh, Ayana Lego, she's uh, a black woman who's now doing, I believe her master's or PhD um, in Caribbean history. She kind of brought up to me this um, phenomenon, I guess, in, in um, immigration or the politics around folks who are immigrants. And there is the idea of like assimilation or like how mm -hmm. do you fit into the story arcs or the narratives of the new country. So for a lot of, you know, Asian immigrants, you're, you're, you're being forced with, there is no Asian story. Um, indigenous stories have been widely erased by the colonizers. Um, so all that remains within the U.S. cultural political structures are the white narrative and the black narrative. And mm. so... You know, it's like, where does anyone Asian, whether you were born here or not, fit into that structure? So it's either you would have to choose a white narrative and assume, you know, white mannerisms or, or white political ideas, mm. or you have a black narrative, which is, you know, the minority. It is in US mythology, it is the losing story. So if you're trying to assimilate, into a new culture, why would you align yourself with a losing narrative? And the losing narrative is not with the police, the winning narrative, which is, you know, based on white mythology, um, is pro-police. I think definitely the names of Asian people who have been harmed by police, that's something that not a lot of Asian Americans who are even, you know, like Gen Z millennials don't even know about that. So mm -hmm. I think it creates this perception that like, oh, police may have been bad to Asian people in like the 1960s, 70s, 80s, whatever, but things are okay now. And it's like, no, that's actually not the case at all. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, I, I agree with that, Aaron. I feel like, um, you know, obviously we hear about like the victims of like attacks, but like we don't really ever hear about like Asian victims of police brutality as much. Um, and then I know on the pod, we kind of talk about this a lot, or at least in our memes, um, like just a reminder to our listeners that like immigration and customs enforcement, like ICE is part of the criminal justice system and they deport Southeast Asians on the regular. Um, I, I wonder if there are any numbers on East Asians for that, but we can do that in a different episode. But anyway, actually, um, there was a report in the Washington Post a, a year or two ago. And they actually reported that in 2019, at least in the city of New York, um, ICE had deported majority Chinese people, um, followed Whoa. by Indian folks. Mm. Yeah. So ICE, like you said, it is a huge crisis in our system that, you know, Asian Americans are not, not only learning about, but not being, not being allowed to learn about by the colonial state, as well as we're not giving ourselves permission to look beyond white narratives. Mm. It's tricky because it's like, I mean, kind of bringing back what you're talking about earlier about, you know, Asian American history, 
we don't have history in the textbooks for the past. And we also don't have any news outlets talking about government and police, you know, deporting or like being aggressive towards Asian people right now. So it's like the past and the present are both kind of not readily accessible to us. I'm like trying, (laughs) I'm trying not to get like, I don't know, thinking about like representation, right? Like that's like a really big um, topic for a lot of like uh, Asian Americans who are just now like starting to realize they're not white. Um, (laughs) And um, good morning. (laughs) Right. I I don't know if like I want to frame, I don't know if I want to frame represent media representation as abolition but it's almost like i feel like we have to be careful about the narratives we also put out there mm-hmm. about ourselves right like this this um aaron i think we talk about this a lot like with the whole like you know there's crazy rich asians and then there's like house of ho bling empire i don't know it's just like when we write our own stories like what are we what are we also saying with that you know yeah it's something i have also kind of struggling with as a writer just being like how do you write without the white gaze over your shoulder like how do you write our stories without being like this is not to appease any sort of like colonial construct this is to appease myself (laughs) and it's to be like no i'm here to lift up with my people um that's such a struggle i i always been contending with as well because like even though like what you're saying, like, yeah, re- when we talk about representation, I, I I do think in many ways that is also like you're saying, it is a form of abolition, but I think it's a step towards a better form of abolition. Like, I feel like it's almost like pre-abolition is in, in, in media is representation. But when we get more to, okay, now we have representation, can we now talk about actually giving us, you know, work that's for us, by us, you know? Can we finally have a superhero story that's not dependent on a white story about Asian people, you know? No, this is, um, we actually have a kind of related question. So something we see in some Asian spaces, and this is what, you know, we want to ask you about as well, especially with, you know, all the attacks, uh, you know, going on right now. I'm wondering, like, your thoughts on... You know, Asian people who say like, oh, like if you're if you bring up Asians being racist to black people, that's like very divisive. We should be together as the Asian community right now. And if you're bringing that up, you're just kind of pandering to the quote white gaze. Mm-hmm. What are your general thoughts on this type of sentiment? Oh, that's a tough one, because I feel like this happens to me all the time on both sides of the aisle. I'm just like. I am not responsible <laughs> for your lateral violence. Leave me alone. Um, <laughs> um, I, I feel like um, it is critical to the conversation. We have to talk about how we've harmed each other. Otherwise, there's no way we can build long-term lasting solidarities. We have to have those healing conversations. We have to understand the intention um, of the conversation. Like like you're saying, like a lot of us, like it's not the right time to talk about these things. No, it is the perfect time to talk about these things mm-hmm. because if we don't, we run the risk of creating more layers of harm across our communities, creating more stories of harm across our communities. Um, and, you know, if we're gonna think about long-term solidarity, we have to have those tough conversations. It's just inevitable. And oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Like Black Asian solidarity was was <laughs> a trending topic. Um, I am no longer a trending topic. It's hilarious. Um, <laughs> it's like my existence no longer matters to the media. Therefore, I don't exist anymore. <laughs> um, sorry, that was me venting. <laughs> um, That's what this is for. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> um, but. I, I think folks who do have that argument, you, I, I see that, I hear it, but we should have that conversation outside, again, outside of the white colonial gaze. Because, yeah, when we organize only in response to um, white narratives about us, it's never going to be sustainable. We are actually mm. creating 
spaces or we are organizing in a way that is dependent on the white gaze and we can't do that. So yes, this is a necessary conversation. And yes, we can do it in a way that is not dependent on white narratives. So when you say like organize uh, beyond or outside of the white gaze, are you, what exactly do you mean by that? Do you mean like having conversations like about black and Asian solidarity outside of like when it's a response to like an attack or like something like that? Or do you mean something else? Actually, yeah, that's exactly what I mean. I, I feel like, yeah, black Asian solidarity only pops up when, you know, there is an extreme wave of violence. And as we all know that, mm. you know, we, we live in a culture of trauma. We live in a culture of violence and basing our actions on violence that is deeply rooted in colonization. Um, I don't find it constructive. Um, I think these conversations need to be have had the conversations between communities that we have outside of mainstream news and influence, I think is more impactful. It's more meaningful and it's more powerful because we're doing it in a way because we actually show genuine interest in healing across communities, mm. not when it's only a trending topic or when it's Black History mm. Month. Because February 29th, it's over because it's not a day in the month. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I think that is so critical to our organizing. So, for example, this podcast, yay, I think it's yay. so critical. Yay, thanks. Yeah, because it's like, it's not only just having the conversation outside the narrative. It's like we're, we're laying track work and groundwork for long-term conversations in the future. Yeah, I do agree. I know Jerry, like, in my own opinion when you know i'll say like when i see east asian people do this it really reminds me of white people who really hate critical race theory because they don't want to talk about how white people were like bad you know um but i do agree that like you cannot move forward with healing without like addressing like the very large elephant in the room um and I do see how right now, like, you know, if we're only bringing it up when attacks are happening, it does seem like, okay, yeah, if this is only happening then, I can see, like, timing-wise or, like, why people might be against it. I mean, I, I do think right now is, like, a good time to talk about it and also just to continue it after, you know, attacks are over, even when nothing is happening. I, I think, like, the... um. I think the timing is like the emphasis, right? Like, mm -hmm. when we do whataboutisms, like, right after an attack, like, people aren't ready to have those conversations i think because everyone's hurting like no one's trying to fix anything right now when we're like you know like we're, we're hurting um so i i see what yeah i feel like that's a really good path forward um at least to like just talk it year round right mm -hmm. so yeah kind of kind of going down that same thought process about like Asians being racist to black folks what about like the reverse narrative right like what mm -hmm. about when folks say like black on Asian hate crimes um, and, and things like that. Like how, what's the right way to res respond, organize, um, handle that, I guess. And yeah. yeah. Oh, um, I tend to respond with facts um, because again, this, this is a part of white mythology and how white mythology maintains its control over our communities by only emphasizing specific hate crimes. Um, and, you know, by only amplifying the moments where the perpetrator is black. Um, and when that happens consistently, um, again, if we organize based on mainstream media, we'll be then basing a lot of our solidarities on the assumption that black people are vastly responsible for these hate crimes. Mm, when um, I... Uh, the Virulent Hate Project uh, released uh, a survey that in 2020, 89.6% um, of anti-Asian violence came from white people. Um, and that's something that's not at all promoted in mainstream media. You know, when the numbers came out, you saw how quickly Stop Asian Hate like 
lost itself as a trending topic. It was like, oh, we're moving on. Like, what do you mean we do all that stuff to y'all? No, that's black people. <laughs> um, so. no, 100% that. And yeah, yeah I, I know like hate also across these different research projects is like defined really differently as whether like physical attacks to like saying a slur. There's like a whole broad category. Um, right. No, but I 100% agree. With, like there's that. And I also feel like it's like one thing that's not really mentioned is like the class element. Like oftentimes, you know, like when, when like the media highlights a perpetrator who's black, oftentimes it comes with like a robbery or like stealing. And it's like, I guess my question for Asian people who think this way is like, you know, why do people steal? Like what, you know, what are the factors and lifestyles that like lead to someone wanting to rob someone else? Right. Like, like we don't see like rich black people going down the street, like randomly stealing some from like Asian elders, right? Like that's not happening. Right. I think there's definitely a class element that's like not being explored a lot by media as well. Um, I know race is a very visual language, but I think there's such an emphasis on race over class right now when I think that's like oftentimes informing, especially like a lot of the robberies and stuff like that. I think that's like a huge element that's like no one's talking about. <laughs> I'm just yeah. like trying to like let that let that uh, marinate. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I just thought. Of, I mean, like, yeah, I think when I talk with you know Asian people in like my DMs about this, it's like, yeah, like we are not seeing a lot of you know like rich black people attack Asian people on the streets. Like, I think just the acknowledgement of class is kind of when I think New York Times and other media, it just so it indexes so heavy on race when race may not be like the primary you know driver of like what's happening. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's something I'm really thinking about right now when people talk about like black on Asian hate hate crimes. Like, is it black on Asian or is it like poor on rich? You know that mm-hmm. kind of dynamic. I really appreciate that assessment because I think it it brings in a nuance that again we're not being taught because we don't understand things outside of certain narratives, certain narratives that present control over our communities. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> it's been on my mind. I'm so glad you said it because now I'm like, oh, things that we never really discuss because we're so like hyper focused on this like specific narrative. Um, yeah. But yeah, also when you said like, you know, how we define hate crimes, I really, really appreciate that you said that because, you know, what is a hate crime? And we should acknowledge how legal definitions are built to protect whiteness. Yeah. I mean, literally the fact that the shooter in the Atlanta spa shooting, they couldn't get him on, you know, racial bias when we, the people were like, this is clearly a hate crime, you know, <laughs> or, or the shooting of um, the, the Sikh folks in Indianapolis and how also that was like, well, there's no evidence. It was a hate crime. I was like, um, it seems pretty yeah. evident. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <clears throat> yeah. So like, I, I love that you said it because then it, it brings into conversation like class. It also brings into like more historical context of how literally hatred for Asian folks is so deeply rooted in our government, in our policies, in, you know, how we move politically um within government mm-hmm. um you know I'm, I'm thinking about you know angel island and how you know lots of asian immigrants were allowed into the stolen land because it was assumed that they all had a disease you know you fast forward a couple of centuries and that rhetoric is very much a part of covid19 and the pandemic we're in right now um or the page act which restricted um Asian women from immigrating here under the assumption that they were all sex workers. You fast forward to today and the sexualized racism towards Asian women is still very much a part of our culture. So I think it's great that you said that because then it it helped. I think it'll help people um, look at how systemically there is a long, long line of anti-Asian hatred. Um, that black people did not do it because guess what? We were not in government when we did all those things. So (laughs) (laughs) we were not in charge. We were not in charge. So how are you blaming me for white people's shit? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, going back to Aaron's class analysis, um, I wonder what y'all think about this, but I wonder if it has something, I'll I'll take a step back. I, I feel like 
generally speaking, Asians kind of have a hard time discussing class. Um, maybe it's because like w- w- talking about money isn't like something we do. I don't know. Um, but I also wonder if like a lot of like the ideas of success and like the the, the Asian American slash Asian immigrant idea of success is like money. It's like cap, like hardcore greenback capital. And I feel like having to assess that or like when you have you've been so focused on that for so long. Um, I don't know. It feels like kind of ironic that like you can't you can't think about class, but like that's all you think about at the same time. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Or it's like you can I, I maybe like some Asian people. I always put the word some now as much as possible. Um, <laughs> but it's like it's like some Asian people like they can talk about money and maybe understand it in like a rich Asian, poor Asian context. But then applying it to like other races is like a whole new like mental leap yeah exactly yeah. can't buy your way out of racism yeah <laughs> exactly. no nope, because money is rooted in racism <laughs> yeah um and then rohan you know we uh, uh kind of wanted to ask like your opinion um you know about like the whole hate crime thing and like um it being systemic but like what are your thoughts on like even just relying on like the hate crime designation like like do you feel like the the push for for like having something designated in a hate crime like isn't that kind of relying on the criminal justice system in a way it does so long as we are unable to change the legal definitions of hate crimes and so Mm -hmm. long as we remain really unable to put the needs of the survivors or the um families of the victims first. Um, And yeah, no, it still is difficult when, you know, we still have to figure out transitions from criminal justice to reformative justice. What does that look like when sometimes the person who was harmed wants criminal justice as a solution? Um, Mm -hmm. What does that mean for us? Um, That is something I am constantly grappling with. I'm like, well, we sent to the survivor, but if they want that person to go to jail for 10 years, is that really going to solve the issue? I don't know. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, no, exactly. Yeah. yeah. 100%. No, Jerry, I remember when we talked about this a long time ago. It was like, um, it was like, uh, it was like, it was in California, like someone kicked like an old Asian guy in California. Um, oh. and, and like instead of going to jail this person was sentenced to like a lot of some kind of like rehabilitation programs which you know uh, you know from like a restorative justice point of view it's like okay this this actually makes more sense than throwing them in like solitary confinement for 10 years where they will probably pop out worse um but i do know like rohan like you mentioned like at the time like yeah like uh, you know the families were like very pissed like rehabilitation program like you know we want this person like you know k-worded essentially it's like unalived as they say unalived yeah um yeah yeah it's a constant debate i i have internally but um and that's when i keep hoping that we must keep planting seeds about you know political education about abolition education um because I'm, I'm i'm very short in the short term um some folks are not going to understand um the real power of restorative justice as opposed to criminal justice exactly exactly so yeah. i i just hope that we just you know stay focused on continue to educate our communities on um you know which one actually serves us better which one between the two is actually real justice for everybody and how we can still honor everyone's humanity as hard as that can be sometimes um some folks like a certain man who is orange um i cannot respect his humanity uh, <laughs> i had to think about that one it's yeah, out yeah. my head already you know <laughs> we kill it okay child <laughs> <laughs> Um, and even for myself, sometimes that's really hard when, you know, sometimes when I demand for an Asian male leader to step down, you know, for me, that is the constant, am I looking at this as a carceral sense? Mm. You know, for me, is it, he doesn't deserve 
this role anymore? Or is it, can he go through some sort of healing and then come back when mm. he is ready? Is, is that a better way to look at things? And am, am I looking at everything mm. as, and that's something that I have to constantly assess in myself. You know, it's like, am I looking at things through a carceral light? Because I'm so well conditioned to think that way. Yeah. Got um, it. Can you can you expand briefly on like what what, what you mean by like car, carceral light? Um, I just, oh yeah 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 yeah. I just want to um, make sure we're clear. I guess to me, carceral is like you said, it's criminal justice, but like in our day to day living. So for me, like cancel culture is carceral. The oh, idea ooh. that a a person makes a mistake and must be punished for it to the point at which they can no longer be part of the community. Like to me, like mm. carceral perspectives are like how do we punish somebody for their mm. mistakes as opposed to how do we hold them accountable to do better ah uh, okay yeah. yeah so like extremely punitive violent reactions yeah, yeah. um yeah. Okay. i guess recently yeah. in my personal life um i had to actually handle a similar situation um there was a person in my life who was violent with me um, and when I kind of made it public, folks were like, oh, like I'll stop being friends with him if this is true. And I was like, no, I would rather you hold him accountable to his therapy. I mean, I will never speak to him again. Like yeah. I am done. <laughs> like yeah. I can cancel that person out of my life forever. I'd be very happy yeah. if that's the case. However, I still do not want them to be isolated for mm. something, you know, mm. like that would not be fair to who they are as a human being. I Got like it. that. Yeah. Like the human human capacity to change, I think, yeah. is yeah. The, the right note to end on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, yeah, we're we're coming up on time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got all day, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Well, uh thanks again, Rohan, for coming on the pod. Um we're we're we've come up on time and um yeah, at, let's uh, let the listeners know where else they can find you on the internet. Oh, it was so good to be here. I'm so grateful. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can find me on all social platforms, Diary of a Firebird. So TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, um, my website, diaryofafirebird.com. Um, I am responding to my emails for gigs and stuff so please hire me for something nice. <laughs> <laughs> i would love <laughs> much as i'm like abolish money i'm like we must also survive in this capitalist structure yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> exactly yep, yep. um and i am also reachable through the blasian march we also have uh, a facebook page a tiktok and instagram and a twitter and you can also find me on blasianmarch.org all right. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Um, all right. Well, that's our episode. Um, again, you can follow the podcast at Politically Asian Podcast on Instagram, at Politic Asian Pod on Twitter, or email us, Politically Asian Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we also take episode ideas. And if you know an Asian person who would be a great fit for this pod and want to hear them talk about something, send them our way. Otherwise, you can help us out by leaving an Apple or Spotify review. Uh, cool. Thanks for listening and bye. bye.